We're in a series called 3 a.m. What keeps you up at night? If you're anything like me, you probably have a lot on your mind and your heart right now. A lot going on in there. A lot of weird stuff happening. (laughs) Society's like, okay. So I was thinking about this. I had quite a few weeks to prepare for this, and I was I was like, man, what? What's something cool I could preach about? I'm, I'm reading this book on communion right now from a, actually another local pastor, David Warnick from New Life. It's, it's all about communion, and I was thinking, maybe I'll preach about communion because it's really speaking to me. I, I think that maybe I, I saw it too little. I think it's a little bit bigger than maybe I, I have viewed it in the past, and that there's something really about healing and communion. I was thinking maybe I'll preach about communion, and I, I was thinking about some other things. There's a lot of social issues that are going on right now to me personally lately. The issue of abortion has really been weighing on my heart. thought maybe I'd preach about that. Other things, like I personally think critical race theory is a really, really dangerous theory and ideology that we could preach about. Uh, I think there's some economic things that are going on right now. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that, that we could preach about that are going to be true and right. And I was getting excited about a number of those things. But what happened? Hi, son. Um, What happened was there was a particular moment in my day when I realized that it wasn't any of those other cool things that I should preach about. Can you imagine what moment that was? Yeah, it actually wasn't 3 a.m. It was like midnight, but it was the middle of the night. (laughs) Truly, I was Jessica and I are kind of facing a situation, and I'm laying in bed getting ready to go to sleep around midnight, and I'm praying, thinking about my kids crying out to God for my kids, and it struck me, Craig, why would you think about what's cool to preach about when the whole point of the series is to preach about what's keeping you up at night, and this is what's keeping you up at night. As I think about the world that my kids are walking into, and the world that we're all walking in right now and about to be walking into, my prayer for my kids in the middle of the night is that they would really actually know the Holy Spirit. Not just no church, not just no religious practice, not just know that their dad likes to preach and their dad does videos about the Bible, not just know how to go through the motions, but that they would really know God in their heart. And so the Lord dropped this passage on my heart. I'd love for you to read it with me. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is the last letter that the Apostle Paul writes. After about 30 years of mighty ministry, This is the last words that he penned before he left this earth. And I want to invite you to open your Bible, if you have one, 2 Timothy chapter 1. If not, you'll see it on the screen. And I want to invite you to just stand with me as we read the word of God. I hope that you'll give your full attention to God's word. This is what he says. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, by what? According to the promise of life that's in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. See, he's thinking about his spiritual children and all of the people of God in his prayers at night as well. Verse 4, I remember Your tears, as I long to see you, that I might be filled with joy, as I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to 
to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Notice that there's something that God does and there's something that we do. I mean, we recognize that the gifts that are in us are from God. The faith that's in us is from God. The salvation, the life, the love, and the light that's in us is from God. And yet, even though he's done something, he requires us to respond to what he's done by fanning into flame what's inside of us. You say, I want to be on fire for you, God. He says, okay, fan the flame that's inside of you. I'm putting the fire in you, but you need to make it burn. Fan into flame, the gift that's in you. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering. Hello. Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. That's a crazy thought. That's a whole other sermon. But which now has been manifested, evident, seen right now through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By what? By the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Jesus, we thank you that you're here in this room with us right now. We're not just here for a religious service. I know that there's people in this room of every age, every background, people joining us online from all over the world. I know that we got some bikers in the house today. We recognize that you desire to speak to every single one of us. And so we invite you to have your way. Speak to us through your written word, your scripture, and speak to us through your spirit. Open up our minds and our heart and our spirit to receive whatever it is that you have for us that you would make us to be the people that you designed us to be. As we leave this place, that we would walk out the life that you have entrusted to us, that we would fan into flame the faith and the gift in us, and we would guard it by the Holy Spirit. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. Thank you so much. So anytime you preach the, the, anything in the scriptures, if we're going to preach it all, we want to preach in context, right? It's really easy to pull a verse out or a couple of verses out and kind of just try and make them say whatever you want them to say. That's what people are doing today. And so it's important anytime you preach or read or, you know, whatever to understand what's going on around your text in the specific letter or book that you're reading. But it's also important to recognize the context of what's going on in history, the time and the place and the situation and the circumstance and the context from which a particular writing was written. And this letter, I would think, is one of the more important letters to really understand exactly 
what, the, the gravity of what he's saying here, we have to understand the context. So I want to take you back. I want to I make sure that you get a, a feeling for the context of where this letter comes from and what exactly is going on in Paul's life and why exactly he's writing to Timothy in this way. So I'm going to take you back to the year A.D. 68. And where Paul is at right now in this moment, imagine him in this moment writing this letter, his very last letter, he's finding himself in the dark depths of a prison. History tells us that he was in a prison called the Mamertine Prison, otherwise known as the House of Darkness. One Roman historian by the name of Solist says, neglect Darkness and stench gave it a hideous and terrifying appearance. AD 68, this is where Paul finds himself. Now, how did he get there? See, if you know Paul's story, you know that as a young man, he grew up in the academic system, excelling above even his peers. We know that by about the age 30, he was a zealous leader in Israel, even so passionate for the Torah and the ways of God that he would go about persecuting followers of different cults and different ways that are strained from the truth, even followers of Jesus, followers of the way. He himself would arrest them and even put them to death. You may know that Paul himself was the mob boss that was standing at the first martyrdom as they stoned Stephen and put him to death. He was so passionate for the ways of God that he wanted to silence any heretical view. And so he set out on the way to Damascus to arrest other Jesus followers, and on that road, he met Jesus. He came to know Jesus in a real way. And from that moment on, everything changed. He gave his whole life to Jesus. He was anointed by God. He was called by God. He was set on a path to be an instrument, it says, to take the name of Jesus before the Gentiles and kings and all of Israel. And that's exactly what he did. He, tra he traveled all throughout the Middle East and Europe, preaching the gospel, laying down his life to build this kingdom. If you follow his life in the book of Acts, you, you notice that by the end of Acts 28, what happens is he's arrested in Jerusalem, and being a Roman citizen, he was able to appeal to Caesar. So he appealed to Caesar, and they sent him to Rome, a city that he had always wanted to go to. And the book of Acts ends with him spending a relatively comfortable time in basically house arrest in Rome. This would be around the year 60 or 62. Now, if you're not into history, just stick with me because there's a point here. Around the year 60, 62, 63, he's, he's enjoying a fruitful ministry under comfortable house arrest in Rome. But it's at that point in time that things started to change. History tells us that Paul was probably released from that house arrest as his, his uh, Jewish persecutors didn't press the case any further. But then right around the year 64, something happened in Rome. You may have heard of it. There was a great fire in Rome. And this fire destroyed almost all of the city. Ten of the 12 major, major districts in Rome were burned. And what happened is the people started talking. There's such devastation. Of course, you always want somebody to blame. And there was a rumor that could not be silenced that people thought that the emperor, Nero himself, started the fire so that he could rebuild Rome according to his liking. Of course, the emperor didn't want everybody to think that about him, and so he took every measure to try and silence that rumor. Now, this is what another Roman historian says uh, by the name of Tacitus. He says this, 
by all human efforts and all lavish gifts of the emperor and all propitiations of the god, none of it would banish the sinister belief that the destructive fire was a result of an order given by Nero himself. Consequently, now this is not a Christian, this is a Roman historian writing this. Consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations, people called Christians by the populace. Accordingly, an arrest was made first of all who pleaded guilty of being a Christian. Then upon their information, an immense multitude was convicted. Listen, not so much for the crime of firing the city, but for the crime of hatred against mankind. And persecution arose in Rome to the degree that the disciples of Jesus had not experienced before. In fact, they would even take people like you and I. Nero would dip them in tar, stick them on a stake, and burn them alive to serve as torches to light the streets at night. It is under this circumstance that Paul is arrested and no longer put in house arrest, but now put in the house of darkness, awaiting his own execution. You'd see in chapter 4 that he says, my time is coming close to an end. I'm being poured out like a drink offering, but I know I'm going to die, but I know that I've kept the faith. I've run the race. So it's within this context, a context of great and horrific persecution that he writes these words. I want to read them to you one more time. That you would receive them with gravity. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that's in Christ Jesus. I love it. Right off the bat, he's thinking about the promise of life when he's looking death right in the face. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve. I love that Paul is always interested in thanking God no matter what's going on as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. I remember your tears, and I long to see you that I might be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, now in your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells also in you. For this reason, I remind you. Think about the context. He's in the darkness of a prison. There's persecution around Christians are being killed. And he's reminding Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on my hands. For God gave you not a spirit of fear. You don't have to be afraid no matter what happens. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now have been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 
for which I was appointed to preach, for which I was appointed as a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But in light of this house of darkness, in light of this persecution, in light of my life not living up to what the prosperity gospel preacher told me it would look like, Paul says, I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day what's been entrusted to me. So follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that's in Christ Jesus and by the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Oh man, that's powerful, isn't it? Can you imagine? And so I'm up at night praying for my kid, JC here on the front row. And the Lord brings this passage to my mind. And I, I always want to be a preacher of hope. This is the principle that we have here in this pulpit. We're always going to preach hope. We're going to preach the good things of God. We're going to preach that Jesus has the victory. But I feel compelled in this season, as I look at what's going on in society, I do preach to you with a message of hope, but I also come to you with a message of warning because I see it coming, and my guess is you're starting to taste it and see it as well. I think that we're living in a time where persecution is coming. I'm feeling it. This is just my opinion. This is not just Bible. The way that I see the way the last hundred years have gone is this. I feel that our nation, for a long time, generally everybody kind of felt like our nation was Christian. Whether or not that was true or not, you know, that's up for debate. But I feel like generally everybody kind of felt that way. Even when I was in school growing up, almost everybody, they, they would at least say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Even though that most of them, you know, they weren't living it, but that was, sort of the, that was sort of the cultural norm. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. But then something changed, and for a little while there, there was a season where it was, people didn't really feel compelled any longer to need to be identified in that way, and they didn't believe it. And so they stopped calling themselves a Christian, and a lot of people just said, you know what, that's cool for you, but I'm not really into that. But they sort of let the Christians, and you know, you're religious, that's fine, whatever. But I, I feel that we're entering a different season right now you see we're, we're not in a season any longer where society's like you know what you could believe what you want and you could do your thing but we're doing our thing we're living in a season and I, I feel it coming that the society is looking at us and saying no 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 unless you not only tolerate what we believe but tell us that you agree with us you're evil are you feeling that this is happening I, I find it so interesting that the passage here that, uh, that he's talking about when the Christians started getting arrested and getting persecuted, it doesn't even say that it was really because of the fire. Did you notice what he said? Crimes against mankind. What, what does that really mean? What, what, what was going on is that it, 
for the Roman system, basically, whoever the emperor said was, was God or gods, and they had a pantheon of gods, they believed that if you didn't worship those gods according to the way that they wanted you to, then you were, you were committing a crime against all of society. They believed that the gods were the authors of victory and failure and all these. They believed it so much that if the Romans would lose a battle in a town, they would send in researchers to that town to figure out which gods they weren't worshiping so they could amend that, so they could you know, get victory from the gods. And so they weren't living in a situation where it was like, oh yeah, you Christians just worship your Jesus and do whatever you want. No, no, no. They accused them of crimes against mankind because they said, if you don't worship the gods we believe in, then you are causing all of us harm. And I think that that's, in some ways, the society that we're walking into. Isn't that what they're saying? No, no, no. If you don't tell me that what I think is right is okay, then you're a bigot. No, if you don't believe what I believe, then, then you, you hate people. If you don't put something in your arm, then you hate your neighbor. This is what they're telling us. Love is love. And if you don't agree with me as to what that is, then you are a hater. You're a bigot. This is the society we're living in. And so I'm up at night. Because I know that in a couple months, my daughter is going to walk through those doors right across the street into a middle school where she's going to hear all kinds of things. And no matter what she faces in middle school or in high school or in college with these professors that are trying vehemently to deconstruct biblical faith, I want my kid to be able to say like Paul says in verse 12, I'm not ashamed of this thing because I know whom I have believed. Did you catch that verse? Oh, this verse is so crazy, cool to me. Isn't it interesting the wording? He's in this horrible prison. He knows that he's about to be beheaded. He's lived this life of suffering, which, by the way, Jesus told him at the very beginning, Acts 9, 15, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. He knew he was going to suffer, and it was still worth it to him. He says, I know him whom I have believed. It's an interesting verse to me because it's like, well, of course we know the things that we believe, right? To believe is to know, and to know is to believe, and so if I believe something, I know it. But he goes out of his way to make a distinction, I think, between the person that he knows on top of or maybe foundationally below the facts that he knows. Isn't that powerful? Because we can believe, listen, for 17 years of my life, I actually believed that Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. I believed that Jesus was from God. I believed that Jesus went to the cross. I believed that Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected. I believed those things, but I didn't follow him because I didn't actually know the Holy Spirit. And so when I think about my kids, JC's here every week. We drag her to church with us. 
We, dr- we, dr- we drug them out to the speedway in the scorching hot blazing heat yesterday for a prayer meeting. And they're sitting there, why are we, what are we doing here? Why are we here? And, you know, she knows that I preach. She knows that I make videos teaching the Bible. She knows that we have a small group at her house. And, you know, my kids are incorporated and involved in lots of religious things. And Jessica and my prayer is that they wouldn't just know religion, but that they would actually know the Holy Spirit. And it's my prayer for you as well. Now, of course, we're going to hope for, pray for, believe for, and fight for revival in this nation, that this nation would turn once again to true biblical faith in Jesus. And we want that. Amen? But, but, if it doesn't happen, and if persecution comes, and if God forbid one day you lose your job, or one day you get thrown in prison, or God forbid one day you are torched for your faith, will you stand? Are you able to say, I, I, like Paul, can you imagine asking Paul, Paul, really, seriously, you think you're anointed by God? Look at this life that you've lived. Really, dude? You think it's true? But you can't deny some, somebody when you really know them. Right? I know that she's going to face intellectual academic arguments about maybe the validity of the scripture or the science of this or that or you know and she her friends are going to tell her things her teachers are going to tell her things and there are academic arguments that are coming that are going to try and deconstruct her faith and so my prayer for her is that she would know the holy spirit inside of her that would make her say man i don't have an answer to that argument but i can't deny what i know on the inside Put it like this, like if every one of you came up to me and said, hey, we, we, we drew your blood, we did the science, we did the calculations, and Craig, you got schizophrenia. I know this wife you think you have, we, we know you believe it, we know it's real, but she's not real. You're just imagining her. And you present to me some scientific paper as to why I have schizophrenia. I would say, I'm sorry, I don't, Okay. I don't, you're not going to convince me because I know her. Like, I didn't just read her little diary and facts about her. I know her. And now I know the Holy Spirit. I don't just know church. I don't just know a little prayer before dinner. I don't just memorize a couple verses. I know the presence of God in my life. And I hope and I pray that if, if God ever sees fit for me to die a martyr's death, I hope that I would have the courage by the Holy Spirit in me to say, no matter if you take my life, I cannot be ashamed or deny him because I know him in whom I have believed. Do you know him in that way? I think that the era of convenient Christianity is ending. And by the way, earlier when we were singing about revival, God loves to use dark times to bring revival. There's a, the fastest growing church right now, they say in the world, is in Iran and Iraq. The underground church. We know the underground church in China is thriving. Man, if you see a video of Chinese people getting delivery of Bibles, they are running for those Bibles. And they're, they would, oh man, I just wish we would act like that sometimes. You got a hundred versions in your pocket at all time, and 
We just don't. I want to see a church that knows God in a real way. And I don't want to, I don't want to prophesy a negative future, but I, I think that in the coming years, every single one of us, no matter your age, you're going to be given an opportunity to really have to sacrifice something for your faith. Are you willing to do it? They're arresting pastors right now in Canada. Right now. For having church. Outside. In fact, somebody last night told me, no, they're burning churches. Now, I hope and pray that that sort of thing doesn't happen in this nation, but my point is this. If it did, do you still carry the faith? Does the spirit and the relationship that you have with God burn inside of you so deeply that no matter what happens, you would never deny him. What I love about Paul is that he consistently has a spirit of victory and joy. Because that's the truth, is that no matter what happens, you know, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. That's true. And we have the victory no matter what happens in this life. And so my prayer for you, my prayer for my kids is that they wouldn't just have a moment of salvation where they raise their hand. That's the entry point. Marriage is not standing on the altar and saying, I do. That's the entry point. Marriage is not the honeymoon. Marriage is walking out a life of intimacy and commitment within covenant. So my prayer for you and for my kids is that they it wouldn't just be a moment of baptism in the water or it wouldn't just be a moment of baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you do have those moments. I pray that even today, if you haven't been, that God would fill you in a moment and maybe gifts will start coming out of you like speaking in tongues or prophesying or extolling God. The Holy Spirit fills you and you know that you have power that you didn't have apart from him. But I'm not really talking about moments today. What I'm talking about is what you're going to do tomorrow on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday and next week and two years from now, no matter what's going on, that you're cultivating a real and deep intimacy and relationship with the presence of God. Not just practicing convenient religion, but that you would know the Spirit of God in a real way.